0: listening to the Magnet podcast.
1: Hello friend. You're listening to the Magnet Theater podcast. I'm your host Louis Cornfeld. My guest today is the great Dennis Pacheco. Dennis, are you nervous?
0: Yeah, a little bit, yeah.
1: Let's discuss it. Okay. What's making you nervous?
0: Uh, probably, you know, that whole imposter syndrome thing. Oh, you know? Boy howdy. Uh big, big problem for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Me too. Everyone.
0: Yeah. I've noticed that like well, recently I've decided, oh, you're fine. Yeah. And trying to tell myself, like, you don't you're not an imposter, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. You're not stealing this thing from somebody more deserving.
1: Oh, is that, that's your, that's the nature of your imposter syndrome? You like feel bad for the imaginary people who you're taking something from?
0: No, I don't know why I said that.
1: (laughs) I I used to get that. I don't get that anymore. I used to get that pretty, like in the early days of the magnet.
0: Uh
1: um, When I first started working as like a, as a house manager and I was on my first couple of teams, after I was there for like a year, I felt very comfortable there. I started to have this persistent thought of Armando probably hates me Hmm. and he probably thinks that I'm just like holding up the line right now because I'm not moving. I'm not like looking to work elsewhere or expand what I'm learning at this theater into like other jobs. And I'm probably blocking other people from filling the position that I have. It was a horrible thought and it lasted for a long
0: time. Uh, I think that all the time about a lot of people like, Oh, that person probably hates me. Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. I don't hate you. Oh, that's good. I, I'm i glad. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've probably had the thought. Well, Lewis probably hates sure. me at some point.
1: I'm sure. You know, have you had the thought when you step back from that? Have you had the thought of, I wonder if I am so concerned that everybody hates me because secretly I hate everybody else?
0: No, but I do wonder, uh, do people think that I hate them? Oh, yeah. Because I'm kind of like, uh, serious, yeah, and maybe not as friendly as I could or should be. You know. I, I
1: I wrestle with that one all the time too. Mm-hmm. I I kind of naturally assume, uh, that people find me arrogant and a little bit um, cold. Yeah, and think that I dislike them when in fact I'm terrified of them. That's the issue.
0: Yeah, or, I think that's it for me too.
1: Yeah. Or I'm afraid of like offending them or stepping on their toes or being presumptuous or, or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. I, I, uh, that siren's distracting me, but, uh, oh, my <laughs> thought process is thrown completely off track.
1: That's what the siren is meant to do. It's meant to make you stop thinking your own selfish thoughts. Oh. To get out of the way, to make room for whatever is causing. It's brilliant. Sirens.
0: Oh, man, that's great.
1: Right? <laughs> that's exactly what they're it's supposed to disrupt you for a second.
0: Yeah. Well, good job, Siren. Yeah. I mean, Maybe we should move this interview off the middle of the street. That's probably... No. Okay, we're going to stay in the middle of the street.
1: It's simple. We've already drawn quite a crowd. <laughs> we don't want to disappoint these people. Right.
0: Um, what was I going to say? What were you just talking about?
1: Uh, I was talking about uh, not wanting to step on other people's toes.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, I had this whole complicated, like... Yeah, when I'm interacting with somebody, I'm like, is this okay what I'm doing? Is this what a normal person sounds like? Oh yeah. You know? Weird.
1: Um, very similar. And and um am very I, I made peace a while ago with um all right, people after shows or whatever go hang out and I go home. I made peace with that. Um, people socialize and go to each other's homes to like, you know, I don't know, whatever people do, play yeah. video games, party, whatever. Fucking honor. Yeah. I don't do that. People are on social networks. I'm, I have a very limited presence. I made peace with like, okay, that's my, I'm very comfortable that way. Yeah. And then recently I've started to be haunted by the nagging doubt of, I wonder if that is me just being a big asshole. Like I wonder if that am I am I have I found my home in myself or is that me um I don't know being like
0: a judgmental prick. Well, I know people would like to have you around. So you're depriving them. So in a sense, yeah, you're kind of being an asshole.
1: I guess so. And yet it doesn't feel that way. Because I, I also get that thing of like every single interaction you're just like checking of like, is this how a person is meant to behave in this? And is this the right way to, am I being like, I don't know, am I listening correctly? Am I responding correctly? Right. It's a burden to like monitor yourself so much.
0: It's so dumb. It is. Well, I think because
1: it's, uh, every new situation has its own slightly different game rules. Like we're constantly being pulled back and forth in these different game rules. And there's like a pretty big part of our mind that's always looking to see like, all right, how many how many at-bats do I get before I strike out? Um, what are permissible ways for me to cheat? Can I steal base in this game or is that not allowed? Who's the ref in this game? Who's making the rules, uh, um, et cetera? And like you go from one situation to another situation and the rules are like slightly different in each situation. Uh-huh. And you're also like not 100% sure that everyone agrees on 100% of the same rules, and so I think you're constantly like monitoring you're like watching your own interaction with other people to make sure that you're following the rules of this interaction correctly. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Uh-huh. I think so. It's complicated.
1: It is. So we're like So it's it's kind of like when you go to a party, right? Like your first impression of that party makes a pretty big impact on like how you're going to behave for the rest of the night. Like if you're at like a like a fancy champagne tie dress wearing party sure you're going to behave you're going to kind of rely on certain like anecdotes or entertaining bits of of cleverness or whatever that you're not going to behave with if you walk into a party that's a everyone bring your own six pack and everyone's high in the bathroom kind of thing you just like behave different pulls out a different part of your personality
0: yeah i guess that's true you disagree I I don't really, well, all the champagne galas that I go to. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. I, uh, I usually, I just, I think, I don't know, I'm pretty much the same at a lot of different things. And maybe that's me being an asshole and not adjusting and expecting everybody else to adjust. I don't know. I worry about being an asshole all the time to the point where it's probably a self-fulfilling prophecy. Maybe. Again, I don't think you're an asshole. Okay. Yeah. You're, Okay. It's also, (laughs) that's valid. (laughs) It's also like,
1: um, like you feel weird all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And you like realize like, well, every single person is weird in their own way. Yeah. There's no statistically normal, not weird individual. And like, I think about this as a, a lot because like as an improv teacher, I feel that part of my job to help people succeed in my class is to, recognize an individual's weirdness and to encourage more of it encourage people to not feel like they have to give up their own thing to become a a more proficient improviser Uh but encourage people to feel more and more comfortable just letting their own weird thing hang out provided that their weird thing is not like a something that's threatening or offensive to other people in the room. Right. You know, but like giving people permission to feel like your strange sensibility, whatever it is, is welcome and invited. And I don't want you to do perfect improvisation. I want you to feel um, like you have an invitation to this party to be exactly who you are. Yeah. I think that that, if you can do that and if you can create a room where people feel welcome in that way, You don't really need to teach a lot about improv except for like some of the basic um, like traffic rules. The rest of it is like let people play and enjoy and learn on their own terms.
0: Yeah. And then
1: uh, I'm a hypocrite because I monitor myself so closely and I'm so um, tightly wound about like, geez, does this make me weird? Is this appropriate? Is this inappropriate? And a lot of my inappropriateness isn't so much like, oh, I have weird secret hidden things about myself that no one can know. It's not really that at all. A lot of my inappropriateness is like I'm just kind of basically a very boring person. (laughs) But a lot of my fears (laughs) come down to I'm afraid that I make other people feel like
0: I'm judging
1: or I'm angry or I'm disinterested. I'm afraid that I'm just kind of like a, a hostile jerk.
0: Yeah, I have that same that same fear and that same like not let not letting myself be weird. Yeah, uh, like on stage, which you know sometimes that's uh, not it's very exciting to watch somebody not be not be weird. I
1: don't know that I agree with that actually, because like you're a very tight improviser. I I, I don't n- know. So like, wh- okay, what do you, what do you mean
0: by by being weird on stage? um i guess just bring in a non sequitur or a really crazy character Mm -hmm. either one of those okay yeah um not to say i never do it but it's not my natural i don't know it probably just uh comes out of not wanting to look foolish in front of people Mm -hmm. which is um i think a big fear for a lot of people so um
1: So I think, like, when I'm talking about weird, I don't necessarily mean, like, um, do something crazy. I think I mean just, like, your own specific thing, like, without you trying to do an imitation of, like, the correct way to respond. Just you naturally responding to stuff. Uh You're going to be unique in in a way that no one else is going to be unique. And I kind of call that your weirdness. It's just oh, like okay. the thing. It's the thing that kind of makes you sort of who you are. And I think that like, I think that you do do that. Not necessarily in kind of like far out characters, but in very precise ways. Like I think of you as a very pers- precision improviser.
0: Oh, that's nice to hear. I, yeah, I try to do that. Yeah. I've, I've heard myself describe this. I think it's perfect. Somebody told me this. I don't remember who, and I'm going to get it wrong, but as uh like, both at the same time, the calmest and most nervous person. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's, and that's the quote that I screwed up, but something like that, <laughs> like very calm at the same time, very nervous. Yeah. Which is, I think makes sense to me. Cause I all this coiled up nervousness inside that I clamp down mm-hmm. and the clamp is what you see most of the time. Mm-hmm. So
1: I get that. I get that. I relate to that excuse me, I, I'm, I'm frequently surprised when people tell me how uh, calm I come across um, or like the, the the number one thing I hear about my own improv from people is like, Oh, you seem so relaxed or mm-hmm. you're so like un, um bothered by things. You seem so like even keeled. Yeah. And I'm consistently amazed that that's what's coming across because it's not how I feel.
0: Yeah. When I was a kid, I mean, I used to have all kinds of nervous tics. Like, uh, I would chew my nails down to the, you know, to the ragged things, St. Vitus dancing both legs, always, Mm -hmm. uh, just twitching and fidgeting around, just never still. And, uh, I noticed that people notice that. So, uh, I remember in in like in school, I would practice not shaking my legs Mm -hmm. Like that Saint Vitus dance. So instead, as a compromise, I would twitch my toes, wiggle my toes. So probably fifty percent of the time, you see me if if my legs not moving, it's my toes that are that are moving. Yeah, because I always have to, or my fingers. I'm popping my knuckles constantly, or twitching my fingers, or something.
1: I I roll roll the veins in my hands. You can't like right now; they're not like pronounced. But what I'll do when I'm standing there, you see the way like my vein, I'm able to like move it.
0: Oh, that's, that's, what that's all, what weird. All, yeah,
1: And you know what? I, it was only two years ago that someone told me that's a weird thing. I never realized that was weird. I just, that's how I kind of like cope with feeling nervous. I'll lean on my arm until my veins start bulging out of my hands. And then I'll just start kind of like rolling them back and forth. I find it relaxing. Wow. And then Rosie Whalen one time saw me doing it and she was like, that's the grossest thing. <laughs> Took me by complete surprise. I had no idea. I had no idea that that was weird. Yeah. That's, that's it to, to me. Like that's the difference in, in like your own weird thing. A lot of times you don't even realize it's weird because it's just your own thing. Yeah. Trying to be weird, trying to be funny, trying to be something that you're not, it, it feels like a, um, artificial.
0: Yeah. And it never works for me. Yeah. And I guess probably doesn't work for other people either. just, to, artificial i don't know artificially being being weird i don't know some people make it work i think
1: like in terms of like character choices on stage because like i think you and i are are fairly similar in a lot of our on-stage behaviors mm-hmm. um
0: i i look to you as a very as very much as like a uh figure to emulate when i when i was starting out really oh yeah for sure why um because you're mesmerizing to watch. Wow. Mesmerizing. Mesmerizing. Wow. Yeah. I I did a scene when we did a scene the other day in uh, space station Delta show that just ended, but man, what a great time. Yeah. And we were just, you and I were just sitting at a restaurant and, uh, and you were just looking at your menu and that's all you were doing. And I thought I was doing the same thing, but in my mind I was moving about 10 times as much as you were. Mm -hmm. I was checking over my shoulder to see what was going on at the other table to make sure it was something I, didn't need to you know react to or whatever or i don't know sometimes i'll react when my character should not be re- reacting yeah uh yeah but like, like to what to uh like even i'll just be on the sidelines and something you know somebody will shoot somebody and i'll just make a face like oh my god mm-hmm. you know i just it's like a, i don't know you got to react to stuff it's like a reflex.
1: That that's good though. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's you playing along. Yeah, yeah. But
0: like in a restaurant, if we're sitting at a table alone and we're just looking at our menus, and we can't hear what's going on, mm-hmm. just look at the menu,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And it's like, oh, this guy, he's the master. Well, thank you.
1: Um, I, I, no, I think that's really good. I just read um, Charlie Chaplin's autobiography. Uh huh which I don't recommend to anybody. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but like he he was talking about how like sometimes actors will age and then they'll get like, they'll find dignity. And when they find dignity, they suddenly lose their like charm on stage. Uh-huh. Which I thought it was kind of an interesting, he, he described this, this person who he saw once in like the 1890s, who was so funny and so engaging with an audience and so spontaneous. And then he saw this same guy like 40 years later and um, he was like nervous and tightly wound. And he said that like the impression that he got was he had like found dignity and the dignity broke his ability to like be loose and warm in front of an audience. Yeah. And um, like, I, 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 I I understand that. And I feel that it's actually a fear of mine as I get older. I'm afraid that that's going to happen to me because sometimes I'll feel it in shows that like, I am not in this show I'm embarrassed. It's like not even a bad show, uh-huh. but I'm embarrassed to be up here in front of people doing this show. There's like a, a major part of my mind that's like not in this. Yeah, show. that's a bad feeling. It's a really bad feeling. And so, like when I find myself in scenes where like I am, even despite myself, unconsciously reacting
0: to what's going on around me, I'm thrilled when that happens. Yeah, because it means a minute. Yeah, I yeah I I'm not afraid for my characters to do something stupid. Yeah. Or embarrassing or foolish. And anytime I get the chance to do that, that's I just want to be you know, clarify what I said earlier. Like yeah. uh, you know, I I I love being a stupid character who's doing an idiot thing. No, sure, sure. It's just, you know, it's just that inner inside that little core of like, oh, I can't let people think, oh, Dennis the improviser is he's bad at this. Doing a bad <laughs> job. Yeah. yeah Imposter yeah. syndrome again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I was I was gonna say, like, I, I feel like you and I share a similar improv spirit animal, and for for performers like us, where we'll have a tendency to maybe move less than other performers, uh-huh. we'll have a tendency to kind of play more smaller and more in sharp focus than kind of like big intense characters. Yeah. It, sometimes you know you give yourself one single weird thing, and it so so here's here's let me back up. Here's how I think about this. I think of character choices as being like if you imagine a stream flowing in one direction Uh and then if you take like a big rock and put it in the stream, the water will bend around the rock and then continue to flow in the direction that it's flowing. Uh I think of big character choices sometimes as you give yourself one thing, a physical thing, a vocal thing, and it's like a big rock. And in a really good character choice, You have your own natural flow, your own, the way that you would react and behave. Now you've put this big rock in and it's bending that flow to get around the rock to continue flowing in a way, right? So it's like, it changes the shape of how you react to things, but there's still this kind of sense of, it's me, but it's me bending around this rock that I gave myself. It's me going through this filter that's now kind of coming out as what feels like a character very different from me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool.
1: Whereas sometimes you will, for whatever reason, you're feeling a really intense round of imposter syndrome or you're looking around you and realizing how good everybody is and how shitty you are. (laughs) And so you'll decide like, I have to just play differently. And then you get up and you make these kind of big character choices that you instantly regret.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's almost like those are character choices that to me, it's like you put a boulder that's so big that it's the water can't get around it anymore. Right? You don't know what to do.
0: That's a great image. I I mean, I play on a team uh, with a bunch of phenomenal improvisers, the music industry, in, the music industry. So I, I feel like I barely have to do anything. Mm. They're like, you know, I, I'm trying to use your metaphor, but the, the rock and the stream, like, there, there's enough rock, rocks where all I have to do is just be myself. Yeah, you know, or just you know, change one little thing, a little bit, and then just sit back and just watch. It's kind of
1: like one of the touchstones of a really great team. It is um, a, a, you will naturally create the circumstances to bring out each individual specific, best, most honest weirdness, whatever that may be. And so like, if you have a team that's filled with big performers and really far out characters and really surreal situations, it actually creates a wonderful opportunity for someone to come through, to point out the simple, reasonable things or, or to be the person who feels a little bit more like a real human being yeah. And you don't take away from that reality. You, their thing isn't complete until you've had your say and you've made your reasonable declaration. I feel like Alexis Lambright's a player like that. Yeah. Too. yeah
0: for sure. Do you, do you ever read the book understanding comics? No.
1: Um, uh, uh, wait, Scott McLeod. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, it's great. Great for any artist. Yeah. I think, but uh, what you were saying just made me think of like, there's this one he's explaining. Uh, I don't remember what he's explaining. Um, a, uh, a lot of detail versus a little detail, or yeah, or contrast with uh, if you have a very busy background, you can have a very simple um, figure mm-hmm. in the for you know like, cartoony, it's like manga, you know, mm-hmm. very complicated machines and backgrounds, and buildings and everything, and then just very simplified cartoony people. Um, and he had this explanation where he had a W.C. Uh, composer. Mm-hmm. This is I only know from I only know him from this book uh, where there's just this cacophony of music and then it stops and he plays two notes on a piano and then it starts up again and people go nuts. Yeah. And that's what being, uh, the, the calm little, you know, guy who doesn't move that much, uh, on a stage with a bunch of people doing crazy things feels like sometimes in a really good way.
1: Yeah, totally. You, you become the, uh, the eye of the storm in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've seen you do this. I've seen Alexis do this a lot where you kind of like hang back for a little while and and like the craziness will, will begin to happen. And then you just kind of like, it's a precision player thing. You step in at the right moment to say the very reasonable thing. Yeah. And that brings
0: the house down. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, Oh, what a great feeling. Yeah. Just, I'm still the same guy from five minutes ago and I still think this. Yeah. Man, I just wanted to let everybody know. Yeah. That's great.
1: <laughs> I hope this isn't like too abstract, but like that, the word that you used of like, I'm still this way. It to me is always so funny. i like, you say something that's like very reasonable early in a show and then you find your way back in. I was like, I, I still feel exactly the same way. Yeah. I'm um, just a reminder. I, this is still my point of view and like that just becomes like so so funny that insistence on like nope no this is still how i feel is usually such a great hilarious um like framework for everything yeah
0: it's just yeah it's just treating everything as real yeah and then just reacting to it yeah and just like the one the the part i have the most trouble with is remembering because <laughs> i have such a terrible memory you have like what do you do for that um, I don't know what do you mean like have, has your memory gotten better over the years I think my memory's yeah I think my memory's gotten better over the years from being from having a lot of stage time but especially from doing sketch mm-hmm. um, and having to memorize scripts in a short amount of time mm-hmm. um, where I didn't even realize it was happening and the other day I, I auditioned for sketch because I took a season off I auditioned to be, on a, uh, to be in sketch again And I was just kind of procrastinating, and I kind of looked at the script the night before for two scenes. And then the morning of, I kind of went through and memorized them, and then I just had them down Mm -hmm. really quickly. It was, like, really surprising.
1: Is there... I mean, do you have any, like, tricks for that? Or is it just... It's just slogging through?
0: Um, It's just... No, I don't have any tricks. Actually, I'm lying. That time, uh, the night before, I... I tried something, which I think now I'm going to do a lot, which is, which is pound out a beat mm-hmm. and then just kind of like rap them, the lines, mm-hmm. uh, and then for some reason that sticks. Just having them in a rhythm, mm-hmm. and then you're thinking them in a rhythm but saying them normal, mm-hmm. and that worked for me in a really, uh, yeah, really surprising way. That makes sense.
1: Um, I read this great. Uh, I wonder if I'm thinking of the right book now or not. <clears throat> well, I'm going to attribute to this one book. And if I'm wrong, any any eagle-eyed listeners out there, feel free to you know email me and tell me I'm wrong. Um, I read this book called The uh, the Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist, um, which is this book on neuroscience. Really fabulous. Mm-hmm. It's a big, thick-ass book. The first half is, is on brain physiology, and then the second half is on um kind of like an overview of the history of Western culture. And the argument of the book is looking at the development of Western culture through the lens of how our brain is structured and through the lens of like left and right brain dialogue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, it's a long fucking more thing. But one of the arguments that this guy made is that there's some evidence that early human beings probably had skills in music and like singing before they had skills in speaking and and um language hmm. uh, and one of the arguments goes that a rhyming verse precedes non-rhyming prose and one of the big compelling reasons for it is rhyming verse is much easier for oral cultures to remember
0: oh yeah yeah
1: prose is like impossible but the rhyme itself, it builds in where you almost, despite yourself, can't help but remember yeah, yeah. things because it, there's it, there's a natural structure that you can grasp onto.
0: Right, right. Pretty interesting. Yeah,
1: I read uh, this like book on survivalism recently called Deep Survival, uh-huh. and it's like different stories of people who have been in like shipwrecked and and like lost at sea and and lost in the woods and or like fallen out of planes and shit like that. And uh, like how they got out of it. And the idea behind the book is like, why do some people survive and other people don't? What's happening with those people? What are they doing? Um, You know, all that stuff. And one of the kind of consistent things that comes up among these survivors is like someone will have like broken their leg and they're trapped on the side of a mountain in a blizzard. And it's like, they have to like, get down the side of the mountain and it's like 15 miles to base camp or some crazy shit like that. And it's like impossible. And a lot of times they'll go into this kind of like trance state where like despite all the pain, they just begin tuning into like little like rhymes that they're coming up with. Like the kind of nonsense shit that you probably say in the shower when you're like not thinking about it, Uh they'll just have these like repetitive rhymes and like, like hyper-focused on these like rhymes and shit like
0: that. And this happens a lot
1: to survivors. Yeah. Yeah. These like little tiny like lyrics or something that they'll come into. And it's like a focal point for them as their body just becomes so exhausted and begins like these like hikes and shit. Uh They'll just start like almost like a spider weaving a web. They'll start moving in these like small patterns. So like I I read this one story of this guy who like was stranded on the side of a mountain, broken leg, freezing to death. Um, His leg was like in agonizing pain. So he couldn't really climb. So he would like lower himself an inch. Kick to the left, um, stop, lower himself to the end, in, uh, an inch, kick to the left, stop and breathe. And it was like this slow, hypnotic thing of like step-by-step step just repeating this pattern over and over and over and over again for like mm-hmm. four days until he got to like base camp and, and got
0: rescued. Maybe it was that the voice that says, you're going to die, you can't do this. <clears throat> it was too exhausted. Could be. It was just like, I'm out, I'm checking out. Yeah. Like that reminds me of like super marathon runners. Mm -hmm. And I I remember I I heard this podcast once where uh, uh, this woman, she was just like a normal runner, but then she had some kind of accident or an embolism or something uh, that changed her brain. And then she started running these like 700 mile. I'm probably messing it up, but it's probably like 700 mile things that you run for four days, you know, and just doing it and just winning and winning. And it was just like, she didn't have that anymore, that thing that said, "You're tired, you mm. should stop mm-hmm. which is super interesting to me,
1: or like, yeah, some, sometimes you get it like when you're like exercising, sometimes where like it's not exactly exhaustion, but there comes a point where um what was pain now is just sort of like sensation, like it's there and you're aware of it and you're acknowledging it but it, you seem like detached from it somehow. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel like your pain. It just feels like it's like pain is part of the, yeah. what, what's on your screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's like a wall, like that, that cliche, yeah. the wall that you break through or whatever. Yeah. That's a real thing.
1: Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Let's talk about the music industry for a little bit. Yeah. All right. Uh, so it's a, Oh, uh, can I talk about the, Go for it. Oh, <laughs> you're shaking your head. It was very confusing.
1: I, I mean, it's not, I'm just like, oh. no man, there's no, there's no, I'm shaking my head saying there's no limits on what we can talk about.
0: Okay. Yeah. We, uh, we've been a team on Megawatt for almost four years, coming up on four years. Uh, my first Megawatt team. Pretty cool. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. Me and Phoebe tires. our wow. First Megawatt team. <laughs> um, and now we're moving to Thursdays. Congrats. Thank you. Um, very, very cool, the great the boss is retiring, mm-hmm. so we are uh moving up to Thursdays. It feels like a promotion uh everybody's real excited, and I still enjoy every single second of being on stage with with the music industry, yeah, I'm the biggest music industry fan, yeah, at the theater, yeah uh, yeah, sometimes i don't I just feel like I'm sitting in with a great team, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a great feeling what's like what
1: I guess, having not been on another art team, you don't have like something else to compare it to, but but what is it about the way the music industry is playing that you think is is kind of keeping it keeping it working for you?
0: Um, I think that just uh fundamentally we just at some point, probably from the very beginning, just decided like just to chill out about stuff, like um, I can't make it to it's practice, I can't make it to a show and it, you know okay it, if it's excessive you know it then it, you know but it's never really become a problem but if I, you know but if it's like i'm gonna be late to practice i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna have to miss or i'm gonna have to miss a show everybody's just like eh, it's cool feel better mm-hmm. or whatever and then just that attitude of just like everything's fine just feeds every just feel like, okay everyone everyone's like i'm not putting anyone out uh we're all still a team we all still love each other uh, so this is going to be whatever happens. We're going to have fun, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I could, I'm not going to, I could go through, I'm not going to, but I could go through like one by one, everyone on the team and talk about like what the great thing about them is. And, uh, and, uh, and how that contributes to the team. It's interesting because we've had like so many changes in our lineup, but um somehow the personality just comes in and fits.
1: You guys have been one of those teams where as the, as the cast has changed over the years, um, somehow it, it just seems to like wake up more and more of like the team's voice or spirit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think early on we had a, we, we had some people who were shy because, you know, maybe it's their first team or whatever. mm mm-hmm. And so certain voices became very dominant and it was like the front man of a band. Mm-hmm. And then, so we had a couple of like front men lineups mm-hmm. and my, we don't have, we don't really have that anymore. Uh, so at a, you know, cause at some point at a certain point we all just, we're, all, we all just believe that we, we can all keep up with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying it's bad for a team to have like a front man or woman, um, it's my preference for it to be a little more like, uh, focus to be more egalitarian. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: No. Yeah, totally. Sometimes the, I mean, most teams, if you're around long enough, you'll go through phases where like you will have probably a, uh, a front man or front woman, front person. Yeah. And a lot of times that voice ends up being the kind of, like, memorable, like, defining thing about that team. Yeah. Um, but, like, e- 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 there are situations where that voice be- becomes so strong that when someone else has a night where it's like, oh, no, this is clearly your show tonight. You're the one on fire. So our job is to just kind of get out of your way and let it happen. In a bad situation, and I haven't really seen this too much, but in a bad situation, either the the person, the front person, will block it, just because they're so used to being the front person, or the person who's on fire will somehow throw their own game because like doesn't feel natural.
0: to Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. I've seen both of those things. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. We don't really, you know, We've been around so long that we don't really do either one of those. Yeah, anymore. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. It's it it it. it Improv reminds me in a lot of ways of like punk bands, like early punk bands of like, just from doing it so often you start to
0: learn how to play your instrument. Yeah. 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 I think about that. Uh, like the Beatles playing in the little pub every day for 11 years or whatever. Yeah. Getting that completely wrong. But, uh, they played a lot. (laughs) They played a lot.
1: Yeah. They had to endure a bunch of shit in Germany and whatnot. Yeah.
0: And, uh, and, uh, yeah that's how you get better. You play yeah. a lot
1: so what are you guys doing these days? You're one of the teams that uh when i take my when I come back from my class break and I ask people what they what they saw this week and and what they're curious about your shows pop up pretty frequently uh,
0: we've i mean for the longest time we've been doing um the spokane mm-hmm. um, and I mean, there's, it's so, it's so flexible of a form, you know? Um, because, you know, the Spokane is, you've got the bass scene, as you all know, for maybe some of the listeners who don't know, that you've got your bass scene, which is kind of scene ish that you return to, but you have cut away to see like uh, interesting side notes or to illustrate a weird thing that somebody said or, to, you know, follow, follow a tag run or, or follow something, but you snap back to that, to that initial scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been the kind of thing we've been doing for, for a couple of years, um, form wise. Um, and somehow it's, be- I don't know. It just organically has, has become like a narrative form also where it's got like, we set up stakes at the beginning, hopefully pay them off at the end and then have a fun. a will still of little side journeys along the way. <clears throat> um, I just threw myself off by tapping the table. Don't don't sweat it.
1: <laughs> um, I tap this table all the time.
0: Yeah, tap that table. Um, um, so yeah, so form-wise, to do the Spokane. Uh, we've been talking about doing something else just to have uh, to have fun with it. Doesn't nothing really seems to get traction. or just the Spokane is so like is so flexible and fun, mm-hmm. fun for us to do where it scratches both of those itches of just like well let's uh, be real people in a real space and then also like oh my dick's on fire you know um uh tag runs yep. you know which is and then come back and we very good you know
1: the does that make sense <laughs> that yes makes it sense? does the, the last time i saw you guys play you weren't doing a spoken you guys were doing a monocene and um i'm pretty sure this is the last show I saw you do maybe you remember this show. It was a family, like a rural family.
0: Oh my God. Yeah.
1: And like a boy was coming home to meet the family because he was engaged to there's one of the sisters.
0: Yeah. That's one of my favorite shows. I'm glad you saw that. Yeah. Like every once in a while, like one out of 10 times we'll do a mono scene. Yeah. Just because we just will, we'll all feel like we don't need to break away from this. Mm -hmm. There's enough here. Um, but that's one of my favorite and you can see it. It's uh, on our YouTube channel. The music industry is on YouTube. Uh, So there's my plug. Um, uh, But yeah, that one was so fun. It was, it was a scene where uh, it was set up where uh, four, you know, four of us sat down at a table, Kevin and Phoebe went off to the side to be a couple. Uh, I don't remember what the suggestion was. It was like announcement or, 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 um, um, something like that. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it was like, Oh, meet, meet, you know, I'm marrying, I'm marrying Brian or whatever the name was. And I just turned to them and I said, well, you're going to, you know, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to really have to impress me if you want to marry one of my five beautiful daughters. And, uh, I, and the audience laughed. I didn't, I, and as soon as I heard the laugh, I knew why
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was because everyone at the table had instantly decided to become one of my beautiful daughters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, and in my head, it was just, you know, they're not necessarily here this is a party of random people. But as soon as I heard that I turned and everyone was just embodying a beautiful daughter. Uh, And and then it's, it's just, this is a weird family. Yeah. And then that just became like, let's explore this weird pseudo religious cult family. And and it just got like slowly weirder and weirder as it went on. Yeah.
1: Like I I have a, a, I just remember fed not saying a word for like 11 or 12 minutes or something. He's was just like feeding a fire downstage in the kitchen yeah uh, uh like a stove stove pipe you know like whatever
0: yeah uh, fed, fed i'm sorry no please fed is like do you ever see that simpsons episode where uh <laughs> there's a gang war on the on his lawn yeah and uh and and you know marge is like come away from the window and he's like oh but that that little guy in the white suit's about to do something really cool <laughs> yeah. and he's just standing there with his arms crossed yeah. like that's fed yeah like he'll stand there while this, everything crazy's going on and then and he'll do something amazing and like at this point we get we we almost expect it which I don't know if that's good for Fed but he's, he's he
1: rises all, he's rise to it he rises
0: to that he rises to it every time but yeah that was a show where he yeah he brought in an insane element. That was a really fun show because we had tons of patterns where where we were all just immediately on board with like uh, fed would say something and we would all just wag our fingers mm-hmm. at him and just like, no, no, you must never marry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was the youngest sister who could never bite by, by family religious law could never marry. Yeah. <laughs> he was doomed to just be up all day and all night feeding the the feeding family the hearth. fire. Yeah. feeding the hearth.
0: <laughs> Oh my God. What a great show.
1: It, it, there, there are shows like that where, I mean, I think that that really plays on, 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 um, like a major strength to that team, which is because that show literally showcased every single person on your team. Mm -hmm. Everyone killed. Everyone had something that was amazing. Definitely. Um, it, It gives the opportunity for like broad, silly characters and everyone can shine in their own way. But at the same time, the whole team is pulling in exactly the same direction. Oh yeah. The sense of give and take and the sense of patience with each other and the sense of letting it, keeping the lid on it and, and just kind of slowly turning the heat up together and like letting it come to a boil. You guys seem very relaxed with doing that. No one's in a rush to make shit
0: happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah, that's, it's, yeah, it just comes from playing together a long time where, you know, this, uh, uh, you, you're out of the corners of your eyes. You're open focus. You're saying, okay, this happened. And in a split second, what's the first reaction? And we all do it. And it just looks seamlessly like everyone had the same reaction at Mm -hmm. the same, at the same moment. And then just, there's just so much joy in that Mm -hmm. just for, for the performers and for the audience, I think to just see like, Oh, they're all like, Oh, they're all doing that. Mm -hmm. And they all love doing it. Mm -hmm. They're all making each other laugh. Um, which is, I guess that's my specialty is, uh, everyone makes me laugh on stage. Mm -hmm. My trademark breaking a lot. Um, it's another thing.
1: It's important to be delighted by the people that you're playing with. Yeah. You have to enjoy them. Yeah. You have to yeah. see, you have to see what's not only funny about them, but like you have to see what their like superpower is and you have to be able to like have a huge crush on, on them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, I have a huge improv crush on everyone yeah. on the music industry. Yeah there were there have been there were times early on where I was like, "I don't like this move that this person is doing i don't like I don't like what this person has been doing like the way that they improvise, which is just such a toxic uh attitude and such a toxic thought that I had to really force myself to okay, next time this person or these people or whatever uh do something that you don't like, immediately start doing it too mm-hmm. and I did start doing that and it made my, I had a great time. I had a much better time. The shows are better. And then eventually it just became like, Oh, I don't have to pretend that I love this move. Mm -hmm. Um, because you, any there's, yeah, there's no wrong moves. Mm -hmm. And it it took me like as a tight, tight, you know, uh, a guy with a tendency to be tight. Yeah. The, you know, I, I, well, I would come in when I started, uh, on Megawatt with like an idea of like, that's a wrong move. Mm -hmm it's terrible.
1: But that's interesting that, so the the problem is compounded because you're not only judging the move that the people around you're making, you're then judging your own judgment of that move.
0: Well, yeah, but (laughs) by judging my judgment of it, I got over it. Right. So it's, it's, yeah. So in the moment it was a problem and afterwards it's like, you know what? Just fucking love it. Fucking decide to love that person and what they're doing.
1: Well, that's interesting. Like, reframing it. Cause I, 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 I'm curious how you said that, like you learned, you don't have to love that move to get on board with it. And it, it then like the judgment over time kind of falls off and you yeah. just kind of naturally find that, okay, I'm connecting not with what I wish would happen. I'm connecting with what's happening.
0: Yeah. 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 Which
1: is interesting. I have a trick in real life um, that I forget about sometimes. And every time I'm reminded of it, I'm like, Oh, that's a good trick. And that is when, People are just annoying the shit out of me, and I'm I'm pretty good about silently judging everybody for everything at all times. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When someone's annoying the shit out of me, just doing a little reframing device of that thing about this person that drives me crazy, and then I'll retranslate it as, "Oh, that's the thing that I love about them."
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, of deciding of catching yourself before you say, mm, I don't like that and yeah. saying, Oh, that's really cool. And and I do like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot better than if nothing was happening.
1: I, you know, I think of like wet blanket syndrome sometimes and um, people like you and me who are pretty good at playing the straight man in scenes mm-hmm. are particularly vulnerable to wet blanket syndrome.
0: I, yeah. If I, if it's what I think it is, then yeah, absolutely. What do you think it is? Um, kind of, uh, having a tendency to not necessarily stop the fun thing, but to just cross your arms and go, I don't like this. Fun that's thing. it. And that's exactly it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, 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 there are some people who are so entrenched in what Blaiken syndrome that they, they almost have a compelling instinct to the moment something interesting happens, get out there and stop it from happening. Yeah almost invariably, even if they don't deliberately say the words they shouldn't be happening, their energy just like neutralizes it completely. Yeah. It's like something I have to be on guard about all the time because it's like pretty firmly entrenched. And for me, it doesn't come from not having fun. For me, it comes from taking myself too seriously and, and thinking of myself too much as like, well, I'm a, I'm a legit, I'm an actor. Yeah. I'm going to act in this scene. And yeah. then I, I like fuck the scene up horribly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's something I have to catch myself to stop, being, you know stop the don't stop the fun thing yeah to like come in and go well this is ridiculous i'm gonna only let this go on for a couple more minutes yes and that's like such a much better thing to then oh, i don't like the stop i'm leaving yeah you know it's like all right this is terrible but here's some more rope yes uh, uh i want to see where this is going uh i i i play you know that that the, the space station delta that show mm-hmm. that i was talking about a little while ago that you were in uh, the really cool thing about that show is it, You you play the same character from week to week So there would be this continuity You'd have like a really good sense of who your character was um, But my character was a wet blanket mm. Really um, So that was, that's that's really tough to play I mean it's a really tough You want And then my thing is like I love it I want people to just shit on my characters Like that for me is the most fun thing When I see people like eyes light up It's like ah I can shit on you mm. Oh, shit. <laughs> I just spilled an entire bottle of water on it. It
1: was like far from an entire bottle of water. It was like a little bit of water, and Evan's on it, and it's no big deal. Evan's on it. Thank yes. you, Evan. I'm sorry, Evan. That's
0: cool. He loves it. Um, Speaking of wet blanket. Yeah.
1: Got uh, a wet a, table right a Wet here. table. That's a great reframing device, and, and it, it, because like when you're – when you think back on people in real life, you frequently fondly remember things about them that drove you fucking nuts in real time.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, with, like, warm nostalgia. And when you when you think of, like, shows that you really enjoy, you know, a lot of times it's, like, the annoying behaviors of characters that really stand out in your memory. Is like, oh, that was so great. Yeah. And there's kind of a thing of, like, when you're in that moment, sometimes you have that instinct when things start to become interesting that your first response to that interesting thing is a little, is a criticism. Your first mm-hmm. response is like, well, that wasn't, is this going to have legs? Is this going to be too much? Is this going to be too silly? Is this, that's not what I had in mind or this kind of isn't what that other person did. And you want to kind of like neutralize it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like such a wonderful reframing device to give yourself to like recognize the moment you're having that judgmental thought and just choose for yourself of like, I'm getting, I'm getting out there with that. I'm yeah. I'm bored with that. I'm making more of that.
0: Yeah. That's probably the thing I had to work on the most. Yeah. Uh, for myself as an improviser, just to stop judging. Yeah. And to get on board. Yeah. Uh, so much, it's so much more fun.
1: It's not enough to say stop judging either. Cause like, uh, again, you compound the problem because now I'm judging fuck, I shouldn't be judging. Yeah. So now you're judging yourself twice as hard as you're judging the thing that you're judging. Yeah. And saying, I shouldn't be judging, doesn't stop you from judging it. Yeah. You're continuing to judge it. And now you're angry at yourself for continuing to do that thing. And it becomes this like spiral of taking everything way too seriously. It's yeah. not enough to say, stop judging. You have to add that positive direction in as well of like, okay, it's like, let a, let a little bell go off when the judgments happen. Don't stop it. Is let a little bell go off when you see it happening, and let that bell be a reminder of that's probably the interesting thing right now. Actually, yeah.
0: Let me get out
1: there and see if I can be part of that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, wow. that's great. That's a good place. Yeah. Um, with the music industry, at least you know. Yeah. And yeah, with I guess when I'm playing with other people, there's a little bit more of a a little bit more of a time uh between that's a weird move that i that i don't think i like and i love that move i'm going to get on board Mm -hmm. it's so interesting and weird there's like i think there's a little bit more of a there's a beat instead of a half a beat Mm -hmm. which is well i guess maybe i should play with more i don't know maybe i should do the mixer more
1: mixer is always a good thing to do
0: i love the mixer i do I used to go every when I started out and it was a Wednesday nights at 11 with TJ Mannix and uh, um, and John Bander. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd used to go every like Wednesday at 11.30 or whatever insane time it was. And it was such a great way to play with improv heroes and get those nerves out. I was so nervous. Uh, I remember my very first mixer scene, I was just petrified. Mm. Like barely spoke. And that ended up working in my favor you know, but anyway, mixers are great.
1: I, you know, my, when you play with people for a long time, you have a a feel for each other. Mm -hmm. You you sense when someone is leading you and you sense when you need to take the lead, you know, you, you kind of have a a sense a feel for each other's rhythms. And you know, the, you know, the, you know, the, that when a pause happens, that now is a good time to act. You, You just kind of like feel it. You're in sync with each other. It's one of the best things about about improvising is getting to work with people for a long time and, yeah. and and being able to just roll with each other.
0: Yeah, there's a definite rhythm that develops. Yeah, where everybody feels it. Yeah, when it when it's on. When
1: yeah, and and then you know the opposite of that is like one of my favorite things is getting to play with people who I don't know at all. Mm-hmm. Doing a mixer scene with a stranger is a delight because you don't have expectations and you can't expect to then get up and play with this person the same way that you would play with with a teammate who you've been working with for four years. Right. All you have is your ability in the moment to make these little tiny adjustments and decide how much information do I need to give this person for them to be clear with me and be part of this? Right. How much do I need to shut up right now and let them do what they're doing and give them the space to do it? how much do I sense that they're kind of making a choice, but don't really, they're not thinking of it as a choice. They're they're like, they did it, but they're not sure they did it. So now my job is to kind of like frame it, frame it, yeah, help them. How, you know, like I love that stuff. It, it, it's a, it's a feeling I get and it only really happens in the mixer at this point. I don't get it when I'm playing with people who I know for a long time anymore. That right. thing of just like, It almost feels a little bit like I'm looking in someone else's eyes and there's a part of my brain that's like adjusting dials on the fly constantly to keep this picture in focus with this other person. Yeah. And it's all just lifting it off of what you see in their eyes. It's all seeing how afraid they look versus how confident they look. It's all hearing the words they're using and seeing, are they being really specific or are they being like very vague right now? Do they understand what I'm doing or do they not? And how can I increase it so that they do understand it?
0: Yeah. So do you like the challenge of it? Like, like I've got to really be on my, I've got my, my eyes have to be wide open. My ears have to be wide open. I've got to be totally focused on Yeah. this person. Yes. And that challenge is really like, that's I like that too. That, that like, it's really appealing that like I've got to, I've got to be twice as, I got to listen twice as hard. Yeah. And support twice as much. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's cool.
1: I, and I don't like, I don't, experience it as a challenge. I don't think of it as like a challenge. I, I just think of it as like, oh, I'm extra alert. Mm-hmm. I'm more alert than I would normally be. Yeah. I'm less concerned uh, with myself than I might normally be in a show. Yeah. Like for me, especially like if I'm doing like a show with Rick mm-hmm. um, and like students are coming to see the show, I have to do a little extra work to not let that throw me and to not start a show by being extra concerned with, I hope I'm doing what I'm teaching them to do. Mm. I hope I'm going to be funny tonight. I'm hope I'm. I I don't miss stuff, you know? And that's like not a good place to be because you're like, I'm one quarter occupied with the show and I'm three quarters occupied with myself. Right. And usually I'm in imposter syndrome
0: mode. That's, that's a, that's a little surprising to me that, that you at this point would still, that would throw you at all just yeah. uh, having some students in there. It
1: does. It, it, here's the thing. It, it throws, it still throws me, but my, um, the come down time from that, like if I fuck up a show and I feel really shitty about a show, my come down time from feeling really shitty is way shorter than it used to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I've heard you say that before too. Yeah. I, I do. I like, I can't really control When I suddenly get self-conscious and nervous. Right. Because sometimes like students will be in the audience and I, and I will just be so happy that they're there. And other times students will be in the audience and I I will just feel so gangly and off (laughs) that, that that, like dignity thing of like, I'm embarrassed to be here right now and I can't control when that happens. I don't, it, it, it just happens when it happens. Um, but the more you just kind of like fuck up in front of people and the more you realize that like, well, it's, it's okay. It, it, they, maybe they will have a bad impression of me, but I've been doing, I've done so many shows that like one bad impression isn't really going to change my, my actions as an improviser. Right. And then that begins to kind of like help you come down from like not feeling so shitty about everything. It's like, okay, it happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But when I, when I, used, yeah. Like feeling like that's not exactly what you're saying, but feeling like uh, having a bad show they used to stay with me for like a week. Oh yeah. And also like having a good show used to stay with me for like a week. And now neither one of like the, the bad show thing that's like night of it's gone the next morning. Yeah. Me too. And good show that, oh, that could still be a week feeling that. Yeah. Depending on how good the show is.
1: Bad show used to suck for me because I used to feel like, well, if I'm not continuously upset about bad show, it means I'm a bad improviser or like a bad, like I felt like I was obligated to continue to sweat. What a bad show that was. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not I'm not going to really take the next show seriously if I if I let myself off the hook for this bad show. Yeah. A, a, and or or like if I only give myself 12 hours to feel rotten and then I stop thinking about it, that means I, I didn't really care and that was the problem to begin with. Yeah. So it'd be the self-perpetuating thing of I'm just making this too hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's only when you realize like I'm just making this worse that you start to put limits on it. Yes. <clears throat> tamp down that judgment time. Yes. I still like after a show will dissect, go through and dissect everything kind of like in my head, you know, like a post Yeah. But night of only. Yeah. Um and I don't know, I like I like thinking of like <clears throat> <clears throat> comedy and performing in terms of like rules of like why is why does this work? Why, why is this funny? You know, I'll think I'll just as often as as thinking, why didn't that work? I'll think, why did that work? Mm-hmm. And I'll go in and look at it, and I'll think, okay, well, here's the pillars of, like, comedy. It's, like, specific. It was true. It was surprising. Okay. You know, but some, sometimes you just, I don't know. You just don't know. That's that wonderful quality of, like, I don't know why that was funny. Mm-hmm. That's, like, um, you, know, you ever see the movie uh, The Last Dragon? Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Oh boy, a long time ago. Oh man, I used to love. I've seen that movie forty times. I used to love that movie. When I was yeah. but you know, he attains this perfect <laughs> state of of calmness of mind and, and <laughs> unity of mind and body and spirit, where yeah. he his body glows. Like if you're a great fighter and you become the master, your entire body glows, and you just become unbeatable. Yeah, it's like Neo at the end of The Matrix. Yeah, uh, I forgot why I was saying that. <laughs> What a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: is a super, I remember, um, I saw that when I was a kid and then I remember it would be on TV periodically. And every time it was on TV, I would freak out because I loved it so much. Yeah. And I don't really remember anything about, I remember the fight. I remember the bad guy. Um, I remember him glowing. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like, Oh, it's fucking such a badass movie. Yeah.
0: showing off the Shogun of horror. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Classic. No, I don't, probably not a great movie, but, oh, I love it. It lives in a very special place. It has a special, very special place in my heart totally. and on my DVD shelf. Totally.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's very healthy. I, I, you know, the I, I think it's very healthy to not sweat it for more than 24 hours. I think it's very healthy to not just look at what didn't work about a show, but to look at what does work about a show. Yeah. So, sometimes, like, you you stop asking yourself that after a while. You just have the feel for improv and you will start thinking and analyzing when shit doesn't work. What went wrong? How did I fuck up? How did they fuck up? What happened? But you'll kind of let things go when it works. But it's like really healthy to think about. Why did that work?
0: Yeah. It's better to, to think, I think. Well, I don't know. Is it going to ruin the spontaneity next time? If you're, you know.
1: If I, I you know, I think it will if you f- make a fetish out of it. If you're like, okay, I've, I've boiled down the three elements that need to be in every comedy scene. And now I'm going to do that because if it's like, well, all I need to do is do these three elements and my scene's going to be good. Yeah. Then it's definitely not going to work because you're, you're, you're not um, risking anything by doing it. You've just found the formula and you're just doing the formula. It's like automatic. It doesn't work if it's automatic. you, You have to pay a little bit of a price. You have to give yourself to that show a little bit. You have to take that risk by like really putting yourself on that stage and 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 kind of saying, like to a certain extent, I'm gonna let go of what I know, and I'm going to let the group intelligence in this room right now kind of point me in the right direction.
0: Yeah, that's the thing I'm talking about of like, it's like you're being carried along, yeah, and you're just like, I'm gonna say this, I don't know why. And I'm gonna say it. And yeah. then it gets a laugh, and you're just in, you're just it's almost like automatic writing or yeah being that river yeah i don't know i think i screwed up your metaphor
1: no i think that that's true it's a different river metaphor yeah. but it's a great one i and i think that it's true i think that in, in really really good shows everyone has that feeling of like there's a we're 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 capable more or more together than we are individually and that includes the audience too that that's not just us on stage yeah you know, you have those nights for whatever reason you, you, you're like so grateful that that specific audience was there because they were watching the show in a way that permitted you to follow your hunches on certain things that maybe Mm -hmm. another audience would have felt more. You can feel it when an audience for whatever reason feels like distracted or withholding or, and, and I'm not saying that as a way of like, well, a bad audience, it's not a blame the audience thing. It's just a thing of like the psychic energy that the audience is bringing to the room is also a part of this collective um intelligence that is sort of guiding the performance it, and and in a really great show it, it does kind of feel like the room is glowing the same way that uh like in Last Dragon he's yeah. glowing it, you know what i mean like it, it, you feel yeah. it and certain hunches come to you in the middle of it and you're like well let 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 me say this now without even being 100% sure why you're saying it yeah it's it's like it's not just your intelligence anymore it's the group
0: intelligence yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's really interesting to me how a, a cra- how, how a, an audience just has a, a group like uh personality like a, like a personality yeah. yeah and i've been in audiences where i'm like That I've been a part of that, like, I we're not being that supportive, but I can't personally. This is how you know I'm being carried along, this is how this group works now. Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's just weird to me. Like, I don't know, it's not like you you ever, it's like you're talking to each other, going, Hey, you liking this show? No, yeah, well, I decide I agree with you, and I also don't like this show. It's a a a chemistry
1: thing. So yes. It, it, it sometimes it's the people in the audience, sometimes it's the combination of audience and performers. Like I've certainly been in shows, and I actually this sounds like this is a real jerk thing to say, but I, I've had this experience once or twice and I, I like it. Where like you're on like a like a triple bill or something, and um like you're going out later in the show and a few acts have gone up before you and and it's just like not the audience is feeling distracted. And uh, a, a lot of it has to do with like, well, the improvisers are like trying too hard or like they are feeling hostile with the audience or, or they're just kind of, for whatever reason, it's like not great improv. Right. And then like, it's not that the audience is necessarily off there are ways that you can get the audience back. And I've had, I've had it happen a few times where like my, my group will go up or whatever and we'll just kind of spontaneously realize and everything has been so like frenetic and everything has been done in such a comedy energy that it's like exhausting Mm-hmm. And the audience is like half checked out. And like, I sympathize. Like I'm like, I feel exhausted too. The, being in this room feels like work right now for yeah. everybody. Yeah. 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 Performers are feeling it. Audience feels it. It's just like tiring. So then you go up and you're just like very easy with what you're doing. You make a simple move. Yeah. You don't overplay your hand. You, you keep it really simple. You keep it still. And you suddenly feel the energy change in the room. Like yeah. it, it's not like a done deed. It's not like a magic trick of like, well, there's good audiences and bad
0: audiences. Right. 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 Yeah.
1: You, can regain control of that sometimes. And sometimes it's as as simple as like, uh don't try so hard.
0: Yeah. Totally. Uh yeah, I've had that experience lots of times yeah. with uh with uh TMI, where it's just like, oh, I don't think this audience is on board. And then you go out and you're just like, okay, let's and, th- and this is different from what you're talking about, but but like, okay, let's uh let's entertain each other. Mm-hmm. This is gonna be a show for us. Mm-hmm. And they just, you can get the audience on board.
1: That's not exactly what I'm talking about, but it's pretty close. And like, I, I think of it like a, an audience is kind of on a date with you a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, like they want to be charmed by you a little bit and, and, and they want to be acknowledged too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think the audience wants to be like, um, fucked with, but they want to be acknowledged. They, yeah. they, they want to be respected interesting because there's no, like you're not thinking of that when you're in an audience it's not a conscious thing it's just yeah. you, you kind of have a sense when you're when you're being treated as a participant in this show versus when you're being people are just trying to impress you right and it's just like being on a date with someone who's like trying way too hard uh um they want this to work so bad that you just can't you can't relax around them yeah and I've, god knows i've been in shows where that's been the mo of the show we just want to be like so much that like the audience can't trust us
0: yeah i think that's kind of what that is kind of what i'm saying where it's like i mean i'm not saying that we go out and we're like you know what fuck this audience we're no, right this show. i'm not saying that at all. It's, like, it's more like uh you know what yeah we we got it we're not going to play to the cheap seats we respect your intelligence and we're going to do this show that we want to do yes exactly rather than the show that we think you want uh exactly to, to exactly stomp your feet or whatever exactly
1: and that's that's suddenly it, it's just like being on a date i'm gonna be the guy who i want who you want me to be doesn't really work right it's a weak position yeah absolutely. and the, the other person gets bored yeah i'm gonna be me uh, uh as a powerful position and and if you're charming and you're interesting and the chemistry is right uh, that you get works. To fuck that audience. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. Or you respect the audience and you wait until <laughs> you have a discussion about it to the fourth fourth date or uh, whatever. Show. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, totally. It, it, and and like in a bad show, I have frequently found that I'm up there with my partner, but I'm trying to affect the audience, not my partner.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah yeah. yeah. Um. My partner is the vehicle through which I'm affecting the audience. And that is, never works. And I think the audience feels that. Even if they're not improv savvy, they just feel that thing that like you're not
0: confident. Yeah. And I don't think that, like, I don't look at, uh, this is going to sound whatever, but I don't think of audiences as being like not improv savvy. Uh-huh. Because audiences, I think, uh, as a, once you're in an audience, that room becomes 10 times more intelligent than any one agreed. person. Yeah, agreed. So, you know, maybe they don't know the terms for what you're doing, but they know, like, well, that's bullshit.
1: Yes. I Yeah, I think that's totally true. I, what I mean by improv-savvy audience is you, people who would be able to articulate why the show yeah. is not working yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. But I, like, in, in terms of, like, the general, like, common sense intelligence of an audience, you just know the difference between something that's bullshit and something that's inspired. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You, you don't need, no one has to instruct you on how to, how to spot that. You feel it. Yeah, one of them is capturing your full attention and one of them you feel a little a little uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. A little played too. Mm-hmm. And there's that thing of like when you choose so the weaker move is like to try to play it to the audience, the more powerful move is like we're doing this for each other. I'm playing this scene to you, which means that my character's motivations have to do with you and not to do with the audience. Right. And suddenly the audience perks up because now they're actually watching something substantial. Yeah. Now they give a shit.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, you're signaling to the audience. I, res- I respect your intelligence uh, to watch us do this. This thing that we think is going to, is going to work or be successful. That's mm-hmm. um, It's us having fun. Um, and we trust that you're going to, you're going to be on board and you're going to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: So, would you say that the biggest lesson you've learned in your time playing so far has been? What would you
0: say it's been? Uh, I think letting letting go of that judgment and transforming it into love has probably been the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like, yeah, that's what I would say. Is, is there, did you have something else in mind? Did you like look at me and go, hmm remember
1: that sounds like bullshit yeah i don't think that's what
0: you've learned <laughs> no that sounds great that's a very good i don't know i one. feel like i'm giving the wrong answer no uh yeah uh, um love love is love is the biggest takeaway <laughs> transform judgment into love
1: dennis pacheco folks it's been a pleasure talking man
0: been <laughs> such a pleasure Louis. thank Thanks. you
1: and thank you to everyone for listening. A couple of other big thank yous. As always, if you've heard the podcast before, you know what's coming out of my mouth next. Thanks, Evan Ford-Barden, our producer. Thank you, Ed Herbstman, our executive producer. Thank you to all you good, kind, fine human beings listening to this podcast right now. If you enjoyed yourself, please mention us on social media uh, uh, with an at and a magnet theater. and And then mention the podcast. And it does something using logistics and, and uh, algorithms and, and stuff. And then, and then we're in the system. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, did I get any of that right? I don't know. Mention us. Give us a positive shout out on iTunes or, or whatever. Uh, thumbs up. Yeah, I'm getting a thumbs up from Evan. Cool. It's all good stuff. You guys know the deal. Do what's right. Follow your heart. Thanks for listening. Magnet Theater podcast is brought to you by the Magnet Theater. You know the deal. Magnetheater.com, All good stuff. Thanks to our guest once again, Dennis Pacheco.
0: Thank you, Lewis, for, for having me.
1: Thank you. Anything uh, more you want to plug?
0: Uh, well, depending on when this comes out, uh, uh, director series, uh, Silence, Please, directed by the great Hannah Chase. All through March. All through all through March. Uh, great show of totally wordless improv, uh, scored to music and inspired by music. Okay. It's such a good, you know, great cast and uh, it's a great time. It's, a, it's very fun.
1: If it's still March 2017, go to it Thursdays at uh, 1015
0: yeah and the music industry will be on thursdays uh uh not in march april starting in april yeah in april
1: check it out folks thanks dennis thanks louis and thank you goodbye friends
0: you've been listening to the magnet podcast
1: This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at
0: magnettheater.com.